Hold on. Can I go buy cybermercenary.com? Oh, that's got to be taken no already. There's no way that's available. <laughs> no way. No way. That's not taken. I wonder how many times that domain's like somebody's tried to steal that domain. Hold on. I'm going to buy cybermercenary.org. <laughs> The nonprofit cyber mercenaries. <laughs> <laughs> the nonprofit one. It's going to be a new department off the ACLU. Like That's my dream. <laughs> <laughs> cyber mercenaries. Yeah, I like it. Let's do this. This is Beers with Hells. Threats, Beers, and Hells. Welcome or welcome back. This is Beers with Talos, episode 106. Today is May 14th, 2021. I am joined by Craig Williams, Joel Essler, and Matt Olney. Today, we have a few interesting things to talk about. Uh, we want to start- well, we're starting with Craig Williams! <laughs> <laughs> start with Craig! <laughs> Uh, we're, by the way, listeners, we're all in the yeah. mood. Yeah, so I think, I think we're has, starting to come out of the, uh, <laughs> the coronavirus lockdown, and, and we're starting to blossom. Yeah, but, uh, but I think we have to have think, a new segment on the show. I think blossom might be an optimistic <laughs> characterization. <laughs> I'm definitely blossoming. The new, seg- the segment? The new segment is things Craig learned. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. So we are going to do some things Craig learned today, but today we're going to start off talking about the recent executive order and some of the things that are pertained in that, as well as some other opinions that came out this week that were a little (laughs) bit more interesting, if antiquated. That's the only time I've ever been thankful something was behind a paywall. I'm like, well, then fewer people will see this idiocy. (laughs) <laughs> right, right, there you go. <laughs> we are going to get to that I, at the end of the show, though. Go ahead, Craig, what's up? Oh, I was just saying, I didn't hit the paywall. I wonder if it was a cookie oh, thing. Maybe it's your magic browser uh-huh. again. Maybe yeah. it's your messed up yeah. browser. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, so, let's start today off the same way we start off all of our episodes. Let's go around the table. And, Craig, you're up first today. What's going on, man? Oh, man, it has been a busy week. You know, we've had so much go down over the last two weeks. You know what? I I think the one thing I can say for certain is that... You learned what an ellipsis is today? (laughs) And an ellipse, both. I think the one thing I can say (laughs) for certain is that everyday people now have a very strong understanding of ransomware and its potential impacts. Yeah. Um, folks that just like literally couldn't be bothered to care now care. And we've seen suddenly, well, and not only that, but we've seen that they care enough that they know it's bad and they all panicked and went and put gasoline in plastic bags. Uh, they cared <laughs> enough to put gasoline in Ziploc bags. So, okay. Like, so not a perfect response. There is room for improvement. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think any step that results in people taking these things more seriously, it's a step in the right direction because people do need to take these threats more seriously. Absolutely. And now hopefully even the everyday users, even when people are having a bad day, even when they're not really paying attention, they think twice before they click on that email because they remember that week they didn't get gas. Dude, can we fire Craig? Yeah, that's a really short-term <laughs> because, memory listen, that you think. Yeah. I, I'm, you know what I'm tired of being taken seriously? The roundtable segment. This isn't for your prognostication bullshit. This is for us <laughs> to mess with you for not knowing what an ellipsis is. <laughs> Joel, what's on your mind today, Craig buddy? doesn't know what an ellipsis is. 
It's definitely on our mind. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Apparently, he didn't know what an ampersand was either. I introduced that one to him. Now he knew what an ampersand was, I'm sure. <laughs> he had done it. To be fair, that one was volunteered. Yeah, I know. That one, yeah. the, the episode was volunteered, but that was fun. That was fun. What's going on, now, Um, You know, the CDC announced yesterday that, um, you know, if you're vaccinated, science works, and you don't need uh, a mask, and, you know, you can return back to your normal life. So I'm pretty happy about that. Um, but, so I think we're just kind of waiting on, you know, all the other things like the states and local governments and things to kind of, fall in line but i think that's the the most significant step i've seen to the end of this nonsense um and i say nonsense in a completely i hate covid kind of way not like in a i'm taking it less seriously um so that's good uh i have opening night for a show uh this evening so i'll be at the theater for you know following this podcast until i pass out at the light board um and uh, so I'm pretty happy about that. I'm pretty happy about that. So life seems to be returning to some form of pre-COVID. I'm not going to say normal, but pre-COVID. So thankfully, you know, if you have not got your vaccine, please go get it. Thankful to all of those who have gotten it. Uh, please continue to promote uh, science. I am thrilled that my kids... Both have their first appointments this afternoon. Uh, my my youngest got his uh, this morning at 8.30. And that place was packed. That's good. That's good, right? Like, that's, that's yeah, Absolutely. All yeah. It was packed at six foot distance from each other. <laughs> it, it was spaciously packed. Yes. <laughs> Matt, what's on your mind, man? Craig doesn't know what an ellipsis is. <laughs> <laughs> Should we define an ellipsis for those listeners that may not know, or is it just Craig? Now, to be fair, this came up because I have an incredibly annoying <laughs> habit of like, because I trail off when I'm like talking and I am, so I just like hit an ellipsis all the time. Yes, you do. Because it's like kind of what it seems. But I've always read your ellipsis as his brain switched topics, so he just stopped talking. <laughs> see, I, I read, exactly see, my problem is I read Mitch's ellipsis as... Um, I'm not done. I'm not yet done this sentence. So I'm, I, uh, I, I'm putting but he it is on pause. Done. <laughs> no, no, he's done. Like, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like I read it as he's putting it on pause. So I should not reply yet. <laughs> Sometimes I'm just putting it in neutral for a second. Right, that's, yeah, and that's a lot of times I'm it. switching gears. Yeah. So there's, you know, there's, they work. That's how this all came up. Like I, I made a comment that like I, it annoys me that I do this all the time. So it has to drive everybody else bonkers. And Craig apparently just didn't know that that's what the three dots were you called. You know what? Was. A lot of people ellipsis. don't know that. He's that's like fine. thinking of the uh, <laughs> geometry term like ellipsis, not ellipse. Ellipsis, S I S, ellipse. Yeah. But no. So there we have it. That was a that. lot of people don't know what that is. <laughs> I'm willing to bet it's not. No. We're 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 no. jumping on Craig, but there's a lot of people that don't freaking know that. Uh, no, there are more than the average amount of English teachers and librarians in my family. So those kind of things <laughs> are, are pointed just out like, to you what? rigorously <laughs> or, or beaten into but your what head. That experience, yes. Like what that experience was a glorious like example of is how we think about things. Cause Craig's like, I don't know what an ellipsis is. So I'll Google it, but he doesn't know how to spell ellipsis. So he Googles ellipse 
and he gets like a circle that's shaped funny. And he's like, (laughs) okay, that's probably not it. Um, So he just Googles three dots. And he's like, oh, now I don't. And that is like the most security researcher approach to a problem I've ever watched happen. That is what happens daily. He specifically Googled three periods. Ah. (laughs) Which is probably a different search result. Surprised he didn't get hockey. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. So we did have uh, quite a bit going on this week. You know, it's been it's been it's been an eventful several weeks, kind of back to back to back here lately. But the big thing we wanted to talk about, and that was the executive order that came out in the wake of the colonial uh, hack and and solar winds and all the other things that they named as you know kind of drivers for for this type of activity. Uh, but there was a, an executive order uh, released by the White House that mm-hmm. spells out like a, a new and different course for cybersecurity, at least in the federal government and federal government supplier realm. Yeah, that's a real good. That's a real good distinction there. I would I would intro this a little bit by by maybe just explaining to people who people who are in security but aren't necessarily associated with policy you know, discussions. Um, and I've, I'm not trained as a policy person, but I've been in policy discussions pretty much the last two or three years, nonstop, um, mainly through a series of bad decisions I made myself. And what, what I would (laughs) say to security folks is governance doesn't just happen. Like Biden can't just decide we're going to do this, right? Because he is limited in the authorities that he has and the authorities that his regulatory organizations have. And so what the executive order is, is the set of things the Biden administration decided they could do absent congressional action. And so like, mm-hmm. what levers do they have in the federal government that they control that they don't have to go Congress for to try to adjust what is happening in the cybersecurity realm? And so when Mitch says the federal government and the federal and suppliers of federal government Part of that is adjusting FedRAMP and FAR to have contracting language be default in that describes what sort of security protocols and procedures need to be in place at suppliers to the federal government in order to be eligible to supply to them. And they have to be able to um, provide proof and certification and attestation that those policy and procedures are in place and effective. And so as you go through this list, if you're a security person and you're thinking this is what solves federal security, that's not what this is. This is the things that the executive office can do by itself to address security. And there's probably a whole entire other section of things that need to be done from a legislative point of view. And if you read through it, it almost sounds like it almost sounds like, uh, you know, like a leadership meeting, right? Like Biden had, uh, you know, the people from the OMB and the FAR and NIST and DHS in there and Fed and said, all right, uh, I need you to do this. I need you to do this. And okay, let's write it all down in a document and publish the document. I mean, that's kind of what the way it reads. It doesn't read like I under the executive authority hereby command, right? Like it's not, it reads very differently. I was it's interesting because, because I'm in some of these policy discussions groups I get to play the stupid security guy and I play it like absolutely like, like <laughs> I don't know anything about policy. Help me understand what's happening here. And so I'm just a simple hacker. Yeah. Please oh, teach me. A thousand percent. Right. <laughs> yeah. So um, 
the the kind of general understanding that I got from talking to some folks is this was not a painless process for the Biden administration to go to um, because there are like CISA is front and center and prominent in terms of of non-national security government networks and how they are protected and how they are managed. And there are authorities granted and responsibilities given to CISA that traditionally have resided at the individual administration points. And so there were definitely, and I think the, the words that, that one person uses, there were bodies on the floor after, by reading this because there were people who did not want some of this to happen to kind of because they felt like they should be administrated in a different in a different way but right. this is the way that it went um and and there's a lot of interesting stuff in in the in the eo and, and nothing that i can point to and be like this is flat wrong so it'll be interesting to see how how it executes there are some interesting things in the eo and i wanted to kind of point some out so let's i want to give a a, a quick I guess, walk through of some of the things that are in there. And if you guys want to like stop as we go along and, and chat about them, you know, please feel free. But the, um, the, the, the main, I guess, gist of this, you know, kind of section by section was to, is to remove barriers to information sharing, right. Between private industry and the federal government, which is always well and good. Definitely something that I think happens on many levels. So any improvements there are always, uh, definitely a better thing to modernize and implement stronger cybersecurity standards inside the federal government and their suppliers, uh, and to improve software supply chain security. It was one of the main thrusts of this they were really pushing for. <clears throat> and I think one of the ways they're doing that, and I think this is probably one of the places Matt's going to want to stop and chat, is to establish. CSRBs or a CSRB, a cybersecurity review board. I want to put my hat in the ring for that right now. Oh, I want you on that. Are <laughs> yeah. you kidding me? That would be the best. Joe, send me a, you know, step into my DMs. They're open. Let me know. <laughs> slide, slide up in. Yeah. Let me know when the, uh, the first meeting is. I'll be there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's going to be. The funny thing about that, and, it, and this is another example of of the way that this this executive order versus legislation kind of came out, is the first thing that board has to do, like, and it's in the it's in the EO, is has to figure out what the board should do and what yeah. it needs. So, and when they say what they need, when you read like what they need, they're typically talking about authorities. So, like, what legislative action needs to be taken to grant the board sufficient authority to do what it needs to do. So, for example, um, this is a discussion that we had uh, in, in one, of the, one of these other forums was, if, if you want to, and the language is vague, vague, but say they wanted to investigate Colonial as part of this board, the board is, is set up to investigate, like it's easy to investigate federal networks uh, because that board is supported by the executive of those networks. And and can they can compel them to, to share information with the board? Um, right. it, although that that language needs to be clarified um, and, and distributed. Um, but if you want to in, investigate private sector events, which including critical infrastructure events, the board has no compelling authority to gather information. Um, and so kind of that may be a thing that, that the, the board looks at and says, we need to be able to, we need to have either 
the ability to compel a company to, to provide us information and then appropriate protections for that information and how it's handled and how it can be used and protect it from, from like regulatory use, et cetera, stuff like that. But or the other thing that it could be do is they need the ability to provide something to the company and it to encourage them to provide information like it can be liability protection. Uh, it could be a bunch of different things. So it'll be interesting to see um, who goes on the board because it's supposed to be I think it was like half and half like government and private yeah, sector. I thought the composition yeah, yeah. of it was kind of interesting. Yeah, because there was named government um Groups, some you know, some of the yep. the three letter agencies and things, and yep. uh, and then it was supposed to be a certain number of private sector. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they share. They, there's a there's a chair and a sub chair, and one of the two of those is private sector, one of is public. Um, mm-hmm. It'll be it'll be real, real interesting, not just to see what that, um, what that group does. But or, or or what they ask for, but what they do with the information they generate. So the com- the the compulsion in the EO is for that group to provide to the president its findings and what changes should be made systemically in, in federal space. But if that's all that board ever does, that's going to be less than it could be. Like yeah. if that board could could take that information and then provide information to the private sector and say, these are the changes we suggest based on these events. Um, I think that would be an interesting avenue for the board to go, but that isn't called out in the EO. And it may be that because that information comes in some cases from federal networks or it comes in some places from private networks that they don't have authority to, to distribute that information on, they may not be able to take that information, digest it, and then hand it back in any form. So that's kind of a, of a discussion uh, that needs to happen going forward as well. Uh, there's a couple of parts in here that I also found interesting, which uh, one of the ones which I kind of read no it, <laughs> which was uh, within 180 days, agencies must adopt a multi-factor authentication and encryption for data at rest and in transit. The entire federal government yeah. within 180 days must implement. Those, that was my <laughs> first comment at all when I read this. Yeah. Is the timelines in that document are very aggressive. Yes. Very <laughs> yeah. aggressive. Like, okay, federal government, go ahead. You have to implement multi-factor auth and encryption for data at rest and in transit within 180 days. And then uh, you only have 90 days to figure out or establish a framework for the cybersecurity incident response collaboration, right? So yeah. uh, Now, all of those typically now, have like the ability to get a waiver and the, you have to do the oh, following sure, reporting. Sure. Like there's all kinds, if you haven't yeah. read it, just like, just there's, there's but, escape routes for the agencies to kind of take um, if they can't make these deadlines. I think the 90 day thing, especially because, uh, because there's already frameworks for data sharing between private, private and government sectors already. Like, I think that that's like, all right, let's, Put all the correct feathers in the, or put all the correct pieces of paper in a hat, and and we'll we'll pick out the best solution. But uh, there's already a lot of that information sharing going on. But um, you know, this is basically like come up with a framework, go. You know, so one of the things I noticed is we as you get deeper into the order is the um, the the focus seems to more closely echo how 
industry approaches cybersecurity or how the cybersecurity industry like approaches these problems um, in a current or more modern way than I've I've seen in mm-hmm. a lot of uh, federal government cybersecurity initiatives. One, um, putting the emphasis on proactive defense in a big way by creating standards and definitions around playbooks and incident response plans and things that have to happen beforehand. Um, and also, I, mean, I guess really it's like they kind of taking a before, during, after type approach to the problem, right? Like being ready before, as well as uh, detection, like standards and definitions around detection capabilities and uh, and improving remediation capabilities after the fact. So it seems like a more modern approach to the problem. Um, but is that evergreen? Like, is this going to be something that needs to be revisited so biannually? There's, there's some language. There's some language in the EO about revisiting. Um, I don't think it is as. I, I, there are definitely areas where I was like, mm, they're going to have to come back and look at this fairly regularly where that language wasn't present. Um, and and so you're right in highlighting that. Um, but not only are they taking what I would what I would call is the modern set of controls and policies that like I was reading it thinking of of Biden as the CEO for for the company that is the federal government of the United States. And this is what, this is what he's telling his subordinates to do. Now, if you've ever been in at, at a, a fair size organization, we will now see how that direction, uh, survives encounters with people who are more or less motivated to that. But one of the interesting things about that is a lot of things in that EO are centralized into CISA and kind of gives authorities and responsibilities into CISA to kind of like give the high sign that, yeah, this agency has done what they should have done or no, this agency is lagging behind on things. And CISA has gotten a lot of good publicity and have, have gone through a lot of what I would call like a honeymoon period recently. And my thoughts reading this is that that honeymoon period is about to be over um, <laughs> because there's going to be sufficient responsibility placed onto CISA in terms of securing things and also not as like, like they are, they are in other people's bailiwicks um, kind of swinging around things. So um, I just, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what the politics are of this interagency aspect for CISA and then how CISA is held to account for future breaches where CISA has an amount of observation and control but lacks total control over these networks and how much blame slash whatever goes to them versus the agency and how much finger pointing occurs. Well, it also seems like they actually had people like Mitch was saying, people that have worked or, you know, lived in the cybersecurity industry, write some of this, right? Cause it's not like Biden sat behind a desk and was like, I have this great idea. We should do all these things. It doesn't read to me like a bunch of bureaucrats got in a room and wrote a document. Right. It, 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 it reads to me like someone who works in this industry knows what the heck they're talking about, uh, what was part of the framework of establishing this, this document. So it's just, I, it doesn't read as a bureaucratic nightmare is what I'm saying. Yeah. It doesn't read, it doesn't read like a NIST document. 
Like, <laughs> Matt is the, the <laughs> is the chief apologist of bureaucratic bullshit. Oh, that's uh, me. How do you take? <laughs> oh, <boy. laughs> well, we're t- telling all kinds of secrets outside of the BWC chat today. <laughs> <laughs> I know Matt. Matt is a completely different person from the Matt that I knew from years ago. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, there, there was uh, well, Craig. Did you have something you wanted to add on the on the executive order? Yeah. So I, I had a couple things. I mean, the first one is you know I think it's important to sit back and recognize that, as Joel said, it's not like this came out of nowhere, right? This has been the hard work of dozens and dozens of people in our space volunteering their spare time, working on it at work, revising it again and again, and coming to an agreement that I'm sure was not easy to get, right? And I'm not saying that like this is something that literally came out of a, a think tank, but I mean, these types of orders, they don't come out of nowhere, right? There was the result of working groups that are just doing countless hours of work that no one appreciates or thinks about really for the most part. Uh, And so, you know, to me, I think it's really important that number one, we recognize that, that we recognize the hard work that went into this and the work of groups like Madsen with the ransomware task force that work on very similar things that no doubt played into this. And I, I think it's also important, number two, and look, I'm gonna preface this with, I am not a big policy guy. I'm not a big procedure guy, right? I have come to understand the value of procedures as we spoke about in a previous episode, right? Like it's a necessary evil in order to have things done quickly, correctly, and consistently. And I feel the same way with this kind of guidance, right? Like I don't think legislation for the sake of legislation is a good idea. I think that's a bad idea. But I think in this particular case, this is what we needed, right? These are a series of steps that we can take to help make the United States more secure and make business more successful. Um, So I I just kind of wanted to take a second and highlight that because I know a lot of security people are going to hear this and listen to this and kind of gloss over it and think, oh, this isn't important. This is incredibly important. This is how we make actual change. You know, discussing policy like this, bringing the industry on board, getting the industry in line and then proposing it to the public in a way that not only makes sense, but is supported by the security community, that's super valuable. I, I definitely agree with that. I think that it's uh, interesting <clears throat> in light of all these events to see something like this come out that is, is largely full of really good ideas who I was going to say whose time has come, but maybe their time came like, you know, several years ago and we're just catching <laughs> just up a little bit. Look, look, a step forward is a step forward. Let's let rock the boat. <laughs> but there were also some other interesting ideas put forth last week that I I think that some of us took notice of uh, from, from the tried and true concepts that we saw in the executive order to, uh, maybe a bit of a different solution in the form of letters of Mark. Did you guys see this? No, I missed it. No, I, <laughs> I, I, yield, I yield my time to the gentleman from uh, Columbia, Maryland. <laughs> I've, had, I've had my say. You guys can... I, no, I, no, I, no, no, it, no. It is an interesting, <laughs> if antiquated, um, typically more bound to maritime law than cyberspace, uh, but a, a letter of mark was was basically a um, a, a, a license to 
pirate hunt. I mean, it was effectively well, what they were. Operate on behalf right? of the government. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we should probably introduce what we're talking about, So, to be fair. Yes. So Thomas, Thomas Ayers, um, who's, who's Major General Thomas Ayers, retired. you United States yeah. Air Force. Um, was the general counsel for the Air Force and Space Forces, um, a Trump administration appointee. Um, and, and he had a opinion piece in the Wall Street Journal, who's, let me tell you what, knocking it out of the park this week for good ideas coming out of the Wall Street Journal. Um, <laughs> uh, yes. uh, the opinion piece, and I, I will try to be, to be fair to his expression of what, what he was trying to get across, um, generally arguing that they should use the letter remark process to create what he calls, I think, cyber scouts um, in, uh, in U.S. governments. Uh, not that kind of scout. Oh. <laughs> um, cyber scouts in, 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 in private sector to then direct information from the private sector back to the National Security Agency. So, um, now my favorite part of this, you guys probably didn't see the entire policy side of the world react to this, because no. I had said something about about uh, on Twitter about Wall Street Journal's opinion pieces this week. They had a early in the week a piece from the WeWork CEO that, you know, some people took issue with. Um, and then there was this piece. <laughs> and, Just a uh, few. Yeah. Um, it's like bad takes galore over at the Wall Street Journal this week. And so I had said <laughs> something. And Rob Kanaki, uh, who is, uh, is a well-known cyber policy guy um, uh, out of the uh, – Anyway, uh, kind of reached out to me and was like, "What's what are you talking about?" And so I sent him a link to the to the post, and he was like, "Oh God, is this another letter or mark take?" And I'm like, "That's it." <laughs> um, and so they were like, nice. "They were they were a hundred percent in." The bit was on. Chris Krebs chimed in and was like, "You know, this should be like, you know, I'll I'll, I'll help finance the." The musical of it, and it can be like Pirates <laughs> of Penzance, and then there were oh, talking about sea shanties. Like yes. it was like they didn't even give poor Mister Ayers like uh, the courtesy of discussing his ideas. Um, and so, if you're not if you're not part of discussions, the reason this is is usually a hundred. Like every time that I've seen this, if you're talking about cybersecurity and letters of mark, then you are strongly arguing for offensive security operations by private sector yes. entities. Yes. Um, yes. And, and while Mr. Ayers did not come out and say that that's what he was arguing for, there are some ways that he used verbiage that, that led me to personally think that he may not have been entirely forthcoming with his desires and desired outcomes from these pieces. Um, I mean, there's, there's keywords like, uh, what, what was I'd have to look through um, um, the piece, but it was like to get um, to can get, you put them in the form of a shanty? <laughs> it was like active defense or something that he had said. Um, Cyber Scouts was the one that hopped out at me. Well, I mean, what he, like you have to understand, he's a mil like he's he's trying to convey in that that they are watching, not engaging um, on those pieces. 
um, and then reporting back to the NSA. So he never comes out and says that they should be um, um, that they should be offensively reaching out against the actors. Um, but you know, he's like corporations should take all measures. Um, you know, there's just, there's just some more verbiage in there that, that led me to be like, I don't think that, that you're, you're, you're arguing for everything that you want to argue for here. And, and it's just such a clean, slippery slope from letters of Mark just to be, you know, looking at things to letters of Mark to then be engaged offensively. Um, uh, well, and with legal cover, which. Right. I mean, that's the whole piece. Let's. Yeah. Hold on, though. Let's practically back up just a little bit, though, and let's look at things from just a cyber perspective, right? Let's let's assume that this was something that we wanted to seriously entertain, right? Uh, the biggest problem between cyber attacks and real-world attacks is you are dealing with a much more limited set of information if you're only looking at online stuff. You lose human, you lose a lot of the SIGINT that you could do around it, and instead you have this set of data that the attacker left behind that they wanted you to see. Now, maybe some of it's unintentional, uh, but not all of it, right? Uh, we have seen, I don't know how many malware campaigns that have less false flags now. I, I mean, you Google it, it's news story after news story after news story, many of which are our own. Some of See our, our competitors blog post have on them in Olympic there. Destroyer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For link in the show notes. And so yeah. my, my point is, when you're dealing with an online threat and you're dealing with it from the perspective of a defensive company or a company targeted, you are seeing the world through a tiny little peephole that the attacker left potentially for you to look through. Um, and, and so if you're taking action based off of that, and if you're going to take, you know, defensive scouting action or whatever, you can easily be manipulated. And this isn't theory. This isn't something that might happen. We've already seen this. This was happening years ago. You know, it, in the real world, you have things like fingerprints and DNA that in theory are difficult to fake. But online, you copy somebody else's code, you're suddenly them. You copy their TTPs, you're suddenly them. You're going to fool a, a blue team potentially, especially if you're doing it on purpose to do that or have kit built to do that. Um, so I, I think not only from like a higher high level idea like Matt's talking about, is it a an idea worth rethinking. <laughs> nice. Um, but I think, I think from a practicality really. standpoint, <laughs> I think from a practicality standpoint, there's a lot of problems too, right? This isn't a battlefield. You can't get out a telescope and get a clear view of the enemy. You know, every single engagement you're going to be dealing with here, or almost all of them, you're going to be dealing with footprints in the sand and absolutely anybody could put them there. I think the I think the language that he used that really kind of keyed me off is he he he. So let me just here's the thing. Let me just like, the couple things about this idea as he presented it that drove me bonkers. One was the way that you, this goes down is you get hacked and then you yeah. appeal to the United States Congress. Can we right, please? Yeah. Who then gives you a letter of mark and then some money and mm-hmm. liability protection. So oh, all post compromise, yeah. right? If you take, and I quote, robust defensive measures against the attackers or against their hackers, was would be the huh. actual quote. Yeah. And it's like, it's, that's kind of language that's like, or what does that mean? And, and then if, and, if, yeah. and if your liability shield only exists to the extent that someone vets your actions, you are then beholden to the government to 
go through the motions that the government expects you to go through to do this. And they're not defined well in this document. And they're not, you know, he spends a lot of kind of flowery language kind of talking about blimps in in Hawaii during World War II. And they look for submarines and they had a letter of mark to do it. And that was great. Um, and it's just the it's really effective, the, too, by the way. The, you know, I mean, <laughs> the entire, the entire, <laughs> the entire thing is there's just so much. Here's what's, here's what I see in policy that drives me bonkers as a security person. Um, the, the rose colored glasses of the people that are pitching the ideas. Mm-hmm. Like they'll be like, oh, well, what we need is better information sharing. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, have you ever have you ever run a group that does information sharing? Do you know how hard it is to get actionable intelligence even when you're under attack? And how do you vet that intelligence? And if you're yeah. on the other side of it, can you trust the information coming in? We spend millions of dollars of AI research time on just automatically grading incoming feeds by like grabbing them and like looking yeah. back in time and seeing how accurate they are. Like all that, I mean, that's the stuff that we do and that's that's our whole job, right? And so you can't, you know, how nobody thinks about how do you grade this idea when you go forward? Was the information sharing successful? Did it actually accomplish what it meant to accomplish? What did it intend to accomplish? How much, you know, how much downturn and threat actor activity? How much more successful are they at grabbing things? All of that never gets determined. And so in this case, they're like, well, you know, this is not. This well, if is you not, have a letter of mark, you just call a parlay, right? <laughs> It's more of a guide. So the, <laughs> the, um, the, uh, so in the case of offensive security, and this again, this isn't what Mr. Ayers said, but like this is how we tend to read these things. In the case of offensive security, you're thinking, oh, great. Uh, we'll have, you know, Cisco or FireEye or some other private company will be kind of the experts, and they'll go in and they'll, They'll go through the data, and then they will attack out from there back at what they find to be. Based on um, what they find, yeah. Yeah, based on yeah. what they find, which is, you know, an <laughs> idea. It's an right? idea, yeah. <laughs> right? But, yep. like, are we running around with O'Day on actor infrastructure or, or on what their platforms are? Right. Um are we allowed you know, if, to use if I am I only allowed to attack infrastructure inside the United States because that's the only place that gave me, you know, liability clearance to do that? As soon as Authority, I attack a server yeah. in OVH in France, I'm violating French law. Right. You know, if I attack, even if the Indian, you know, if the Indian government says, sure, we'll we'll allow you know U.S. authorized people to do it, I hit a server in India, but that server is actually owned by someone not affiliated with the actor, and it had been hijacked by the actor, and now I'm knocking over some retail establishment in India that knows nothing about what's going on, but I decided that's where the attack came from. Nobody's monitoring what I'm doing. Maybe I get my shit right, and I go after somebody. I interrupt an FBI investigation that was going after somebody, and now there's no, you know, there's no collateral information kind of going out. But what all these different groups are doing, this offensive security idea is the dumbest idea in security. Flat end of end of message. Like it is stupid. Oh, hold on, hold on. I can make it even dumber, right? Like, <laughs> whoa. To me, you can search for a list. Okay. <laughs> hold my beer. Hold on. Like, let's let's look at this from like a high level perspective, right? Let's assume in a perfect world we can somehow do it magically perfectly, right? Let's just assume we can. Okay. So, what happens when the United States has a policy decision like this that it's using to provide itself relief from these attacks? Well, every country 
having struggles with these types of activities are suddenly going to say, oh, look, well, it worked for the United States. Why don't we try it? Do you think that every country in the world is going to be capable of managing this type of activity responsibly? Because those are going to be the ones chasing hackers down into boxes sitting next to your infrastructure. And there's nothing we can do to stop it. We've seen this. We know we can't stop it because we know half the businesses can't be bothered to set up unique passwords, don't have time to set up two-factor, can't patch, won't patch. The problem we have is that by doing this, we set an example and we invite everyone else to do it too. And when they do that, it's going to come back and blow up in our face. There is no way we win here. This is literally like saying, hey, let's have a cold war and make sure we shoot first. It's going to end in tears. I mean, and it's, and it's even, you know, let's go worse, worse. Right. So not every country has the same values the U.S. does. So if, say, the Saudis, who killed a Washington Post reporter, decide that they don't like what's being said on a U.S. website, well, that's against their laws. So then they go after U.S. infrastructure because it's against their laws. Then they unleash their little cyber horde and it goes after us. It's just it is nonstop aggression across the board. And it is just stupid. Um, I think, like Matt said, this is a monumentally stupid idea in that this is basically saying we're going to unleash the hordes, but it's cool because you have the backing of the federal government to do it. Uh, the, you know, there are agencies within the government that have the mandate to do offensive capability things. Uh, leave it to them, please. Yeah, and that's <laughs> a, the, the, the two points on that. Um, one is I'm not saying that I have... Not only am I not saying that offensive cyber operations have no role in cybersecurity, I have argued for and signed onto the ransomware task force doc- document, which essentially says, if you read into it, for the U.S. government to use the entirety of its cyber capability in responding to certain critical infrastructure events, right? So there are times for someone who is not just trained, but has the appropriate controls over what their decision-making is and the appropriate oversight on what they're doing to engage in activities for threats that are beyond law enforcement, right? That, that's the main problem that we're having here is that we're trying to treat this like a law enforcement problem. It is not, or it is not one that can be solved by a law enforcement approach. So that's one, but let me just, back up one step and just say this, that I recognize that within the security community, there are some very, very smart people, um, including some who, who I worked with on the ransomware task force, who do not feel the same way. It happens that the four people sitting here on the microphones today are in agreement on that. I don't want to make it out like nobody who, who thinks clearly about security doesn't think this is a good idea. There are people who are very smart, have done great work in the community, who feel like mm-hmm. offensive work by the private sector is something that should happen. I would invite you, if you engage with them, is to understand the nuance of what they're saying, because frequently what they're saying is in direct collaboration with the United States government as a contractor to the United States government, not just, you know, someone attack Colonial Pipeline, so Colonial Pipeline runs up the, the skull and crossbones, yeah. <laughs> starts firing off cyber bullets. There is there is some nuance to what they're saying, so I don't I don't want to make it out like like there's no other way to think here. But but from my perspective, it is easily the dumbest idea in security. I'll agree with you that it's a terrible idea, at least until Craig gets CyberMercenaries.org up off the ground. And we can <laughs> let's make some go, money let's go, let's go. 
<laughs> Matt, Matt, check check your email. <laughs> I'm not blinking shit. I just sent you an invite. I think I, I think Marky42 sent you an offer from cybermercenaries.org. Oh my god. That's amazing. Oh my god, I've actually got an email from Mark42 at cybermercenaries.org. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So now we know what Craig was doing during the podcast. <laughs> That's why he was so quiet. I honestly thought he was working that first 20 minutes that no, we were he talking. Was setting up no. a domain. <laughs> setting up all, all for the bit. Commit to the bit. Commit to the bit. You know, I'm going to change the username over to letter of Marquee, but you know. Had to act fast. Um, Can but I have seriously, Bismarcky I, I, at? <laughs> I, I think. Fellas, it's just Mark. It's not Marquee. <laughs> yeah. Bismarcky. Uh, I'm, I'm going to send. Uh, <sighs> anyway, I, I think the important takeaway here is that it's natural to want to get even. And I think uh, there is a place for the military to be doing activities in the cyberspace. My concern is more around when you have companies with limited intelligence trying to take those actions with a subset of data that may not be complete. Um, I think this is a space for the military to operate in and national security agencies. You know what? I'm, I'm even open to having the discussions about contracting, right? Like, whatever. That, that's fine. But I think that needs oversight, that needs to be combined with traditional sources of intelligence, that needs to be conducted as responsibly as we would conduct any other military operation. This isn't a space for people to get upset at and lash out at in the private sector. And I feel like it's so ripe for abuse, it would be insane to have a serious discussion that it operating solely in the private sector be allowed. Um, You know, that said, as Matt pointed out, I'm always open to ideas and I'm always open to hear a different perspective. (laughs) In other words, YOLO. Let's do it. <laughs> I mean, look, I, I'm willing to hear people out. I'm not saying I have all the answers, but to me, all I see is tremendous amounts of risks, tremendous potential for abuse, and very little upside. Um, so to me, I, I don't see how the calculation makes sense, but you know, we'll see how it goes. Joe, closing thought, parting shot. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> ripe with problems this issue may be uh, no I, I do I do like I did like the executive order I think we discussed a lot of good things here uh, there's a lot of good things in that executive order I'm interested to see how a lot of them are implemented um, uh, one thing I did not notice in that, in that EO uh, and we didn't talk about it during which was funding um, I didn't notice a lot of gigantic Rectangles requires, with funding requ- in them. Yeah. Requires legislation. Yep. So um, that could be interesting. But yeah, no, I'm excited to see the the changes that uh, have been proposed, and we'll see what happens. Matt, you are in the anchor spot today. <laughs> All right. So um, you know, bring it home. Uh, shout shout out to Major General Thomas Ayers, who uh, who kind of <laughs> like wrapped his idea around the idea of the Goodyear Blimp Resolute. Um, which was put into service spotting enemy uh, submarines. And I would say that, that you know, maybe the most critical error that, that uh, Major General Ayers made here was ignoring an organization inside of his own beloved Air Force that is actually a much better demonstration of who was out looking for enemy submarines from, from the U.S. mainland. Um, Civil Air Patrol was formed in 1942, 
and has for continuously since 1942 uh, provided a, an avenue for service for young men and women, um, teenagers, um, people interested in emergency services. Uh, it is where I spent a bunch of my teenage energy uh, out doing like real world search and rescue and learning leadership concepts and how the Air Force worked and uh, aerospace stuff. I, I got a ton of private flight time. And so I would say that is that is the organization that survived the war. That is the organization that has provided the U.S. no end of value, uh, continues to provide 90 percent of the inland search and rescue services that the Air Force uses um, every year. And if you are a parent of a 12 to 18 year old um, uh, boy or girl, you could probably, in my opinion, not do better than to have them look at the Civil Air Patrol as, as some way to spend their time. Um, I was honored to uh, to be a part of the Arundel Composite Squadron in the Maryland wing of the Civil Air Patrol. I was the cadet commander there, and uh, lessons I learned there I still use every day. So check that out. Very cool. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. And if you haven't checked out the last episode back in the feed, that's something that was a little bit different that Matt and Matt Wachinski, our fearless VP, uh, did with our friends over on the Cisco Secure Podcast Security Stories. So make sure to check that one out as well. Remember to subscribe, share, like, and leave us comments. We love those either here on the podcast feed or over on Twitter. You can find us at, at Talos Security. Yeah, let's, let's run a competition. Let's run a competition. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you want to do, man? Uh, the viewer who says the meanest thing to Joel on Twitter. <laughs> oh. That could be a good one. Yeah. That could be a good one. Um, but however, like, we'll give a shout I'm going to have to deal with Joel for, like, the next two weeks while this is going on. So, like, if everybody's being mean to Joel, he's going to be in a cranky-ass mood. I'm going to have so. to go make me some uh, sock accounts is what I'm going to have to do. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, very specific shit from 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so hit us up on Twitter. Be mean to Joel. Remember to like and subscribe and leave us some feedback. And we will see you next time. And until then, cheers. See yep.